This episode of Roadie Radio is brought to you by free outdoor Wi-Fi at your library. Park or sit outside at your local Ocean State Library and connect to the library parking lot network. No password or library card required. There is no time limit on outdoor Wi-Fi, so feel free to enjoy a beautiful day while getting work done, binging your favorite show, or playing online games. This project has been made possible with generous funding from the Rhode Island Take It Outside Initiative and the Rhode Island Foundation, with a generous donation of equipment from the Information Technology Disaster Resource Center and through partnerships with OCEAN, the Ocean State Higher Education Economic Development and Administrative Network, and your local public library. You're listening to Rhodey Radio, Rhode Island Library Radio Online. Kayla, branch librarian at the Oaklawn branch of the Cranston Public Library and host of our weekly podcast, Downtime with Cranston Public Library, and my pronouns are she, her. This week, we're sharing an excerpt from an episode in conversation with Rachel Bryan, author of Consent for Kids, Boundaries, Respect, and Being in Charge of You. Rachel joined us to talk about her book and why it's so important to teach younger kids about consent. You'll also hear our regular segment, The Last Chapter, where we discuss a library or bookish question. This week, we answered the question, would you rather bring any one character from a book into our world or live in a book's world, but never meet your favorite character? Enjoy. I'm Martha Boxenbaum. I'm the services librarian at the Auburn branch of the Cranston Public Library, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Rachel Bryan, uh, animator and children's author of Consent for Kids and the Worry Less book, and my pronouns are she, her, or they, them. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Uh, We're very excited to have you to talk about your book, Consent for Kids, Boundaries, Respect, and Being in Charge of You. So first off, do you want to talk a little bit about Devout for people who don't know? Yeah, it's um, so it's a book for kids, kind of like in you know, eight to early teen kind of area, like 11 or so, uh, about uh, basically about what it says about consent and about boundary setting from a perspective of the kids themselves setting boundaries, but also from the perspective of really listening to other people when other people are setting boundaries. So it's, it's both sides of that coin. Part of why this is such an important conversation is because as a culture, America is very like, not good at observing people's boundaries. I thought it was really great how your book not only touched on empowering children to set their own boundaries and be in charge of their own selves and being empowered to give and revoke consent, but also active listening and really being aware of other people and their boundaries and having an awareness that you don't want cross other people's boundaries just like you don't want your boundaries to be crossed. And I think when you look at how many kids experience boundary crossings of various kinds, it's important not to, you know, I think in the olden times of 10 years ago or whatever, consent stuff was more about, you know, stranger danger and don't talk to people and private parts. And it was all kind of about like setting what the boundary was for the kid and being like, it's okay to trust people you know, but it's not okay to trust people you don't know instead of, you know, letting a kid um, figure out what they're okay with because not all, you know, First of all, people who know kids cross their boundaries all the time. It's super common. And then the other thing is that what actually is a 
boundary being just really depends on the person. And so like I, I have one friend in New York, she is the huggiest person on earth. If she met you today, she would just hug you up and just probably not because of COVID, but in the before time, she would hug everyone. She would like, oh, this is my plumber. Oh my God, I want to hug you. You know, she's just like a super huggy person. And then I have another friend who does not hug, like there's no hugging involved. And it's just not a thing. And that's totally fine. And so I think, you know, being able to articulate that uh, so that people can be comfortable. And also, you know, part of it is for kids learning to respect that people can be different and have those different boundaries. And it's not like you don't need to make fun of someone or keep them out because they have a different kind of set of boundaries than you. One, one thing that was interesting is, uh, so the book has been released in Japan and it's doing really well there. And um, I think it's like their number one illustrated children's book at the moment, which was kind of exciting. And um, I did an interview with the publisher and she was like, well, in America, you guys must just be really great at like setting boundaries because we're actually really terrible about it. It's kind of like, it's rude to say no. And so nobody ever really wants to do it. And I was kind of like, no, we're actually also terrible. I mean, even though we're so, we cross everyone's boundaries all the time. We also, I think culturally aren't particularly good at straightforward communication about things that are so culturally and socially difficult. Like actually, you know, that's not for me. Like, I don't want to do that. And, uh, and so I think, you know, um, you know, part of the book too is like, even if you aren't, even though you want to practice that whole boundary setting process, if you can't do it, and some people really struggle with that, it is still not your fault if somebody crosses your boundaries because you really do need to consent enthusiastically in order for that to be okay. And so, you know, the fact that you didn't, you know, I think that's like such an issue with like Me Too era stuff is like, if there isn't like a, uh, you know, why didn't this person... I don't punch you in the face or go crazy or whatever. Well, you know, it's fight or flight, but it's also freeze. And a lot of people do freeze in situations where they're made uncomfortable and recognizing that in other people, but also in ourselves means that we don't have to take blame for when we weren't able to um, set that boundary. So the, you know, things are true. Well, Definitely. I have to say my favorite part about this book is that it's, written for kids and that it's written for kids in a format that they're going to be excited about and enjoy. Um, I think having a graphic novel E type of format really makes it easy to express some of these things that are hard to talk about in words and especially, you know, adult words that kids might not be familiar with yet. Um, and, the, and the thing that I see a lot as a services librarian is books for adults about how to teach their kids consent. And while those books are valuable, and I think obviously they need to be written, I really appreciate a book that is aimed directly at children, telling them how to deal with the situations in their everyday life that they're actually going to be experiencing, and not having it be this abstract kind of like ideological discussion about whether or not people should have the ability to cross other people's boundaries, right? That's not the discussion. So I really appreciate this book, and I'm really excited about you know your other book too because I I think kids will feel empowered through their ability to read about something and do something about it on their own. And so a kid can learn about this without an adult, and I think that's wonderful. Before the book was written, I have a video called Consent for Kids also that kind of made its way around globally, and um, 
you know, as an animator, like one of the things that my studio is known for is just being a bit silly about things that are kind of like difficult topics, um, you know, without being non-respectful. And I think one of the things that was fun about writing the book was coming up with scenarios or ideas that kind of illustrate points that were also really silly. I really don't like those preachy type things that are like, Billy was a little boy and this is what you should do. You know, and it's like a whole moral, you know, play on whatever. Like, I just, that's just not my jam. So I feel like kids should go and it should be super straightforward and just silly and fun. You're like, oh yeah, sometimes people might cross your boundary and that is their fault. Okay. And, you know, moving on. I think the underlying ideas are ones that don't get across. And I, I don't know if you know that the genesis of the video was this incident that had occurred. So my studio is most well known for the video T Consent, which is many people have seen. And shortly after that video came out and it kind of had its viral moment, my daughter came home from first grade and she looked really glum. And, uh, you know, I asked her like what had happened. She didn't really want to talk about it. She was so down. And um, eventually she said, mom, you know, some, some kid kissed me today. And I was like, you know, basically, was that like welcome? Was that something that you wanted to happen? And she was like, no, this, I'm not even friends with this person. And I was so upset. And it was really just so mean and terrible. And, and I said, well, did you tell the teacher? And she said, no, I was really embarrassed. And I just put my head down. I wish the day would be over. And I never want to go back to school again. And I said, well, did you tell the kid, like, I don't like that? And she was like, no, I was just surprised. You know, I just, she didn't really know what to do about the whole thing. And she was embarrassed also. So that night I, I said, okay, well, let me email the teacher. And I emailed her. I said, hey, like, I know you don't know this, that this went on, but I just want to let you know this situation occurred. And, you know, uh, my daughter's feeling pretty upset about it. And like, maybe this might be the time to like have more conversation about consent in the classroom and whatever. And I got a, an email back from the first grade teacher that was like, thank you for bringing this to my attention. This is unacceptable. There is no touching in first grade. No touching at all. That child's mother will get an email immediately and they'll be in big trouble. And I thought, oh my God, that's terrible because, <laughs> you know, what, first of all, they're seven years old. Like this is, you know, this is a perfect teachable opportunity to really talk about people's boundaries and, and why this might be upsetting to someone and all of the things. And instead it just ended up being kind of like a clamp down across the board. And it's like, well, what do you mean no touching in first grade? Like can best friends hold hands? Can you hug a person that you like? It was just kind of like this ridiculous sort of what I would consider puritanical reaction um, followed by blaming the mother always. Like, why is it always the mother's fault? It's like, she didn't do it. <laughs> I mean, maybe like your job as an educator is to really think about really direct and clear conversations with kids about how to interact with each other in ways that are respectful and ways that allow people the opportunity to consent uh, and to revoke consent and all those things, because those things come up a thousand times a day. I mean, if you have more than one kid, I have three kids, but if you have more than one kid, like consent conversations are happening all the time, obviously not around like sexual things, but around like, that's my toy and I'm grabbing it from you. And like, when is it okay to put your hands on somebody? And <laughs> when is, you know, not. And allowing people to have personal space and choices about how they interact. 
I feel like those conversations start as kids and they continue your whole life. Like that never, never ends. Most schools begin doing consent education in high school or even college. And that is just way too late. Like it's way too late. A lot of bad stuff already happened. And there's a lot of bad ideas that have been inculcated prior to that. So yeah, that was sort of the genesis of it. That's a really good point is that we talk a lot about consent around the college age. And you're right. It is so late to be doing that because we develop all of our socialization and our ideas about the world when we are kids. And if you teach kids now about things that are going to happen in their everyday life, when they get older, if you introduce the idea of consent in college, they're already going to understand. Even if they don't necessarily know what you're talking about or don't have the words, they will already have a fundamental understanding of you don't cross somebody's boundaries. So I, I think that's fantastic. And I think just even the idea that your body is your own is a relatively new to kids concept in terms of culturally, you know, because it's all like, go kiss Aunt Gladys, do the thing, I'm the parent, I can make you do what I want. And it's not to say uh, that parents, you know, again, mom here, so it's not like I don't, you know, get my kids to do things, but recognizing like which kinds of things are important as a parent for safety or for education or other things and which kinds of things are, you know, maybe are invasive and like kids could decide for themselves something different than what you think. I think that's, that's sort of a key element. Yeah. I think part of the reason that I feel like consent education starts to happen as college is because at least where we are now in this conversation, a lot of people conflate consent with just having to do with sex. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, they're college age, they're away from home for the first time. Right. And so then it's like, well, now we have to teach them about consent so that no one sexually assaults anyone. And it's like, okay, but they've already learned all these other ideas about their bodies and their boundaries and stuff from when they were little. And the story about your daughter shows that interactions that seem innocuous because, you know, it wasn't like a horrific assault on her person. She still had a similar emotional reaction. She was upset and she felt violated, even if it was just like something innocuous that kids and kids do that. And, but I think all of that is really dismissive of the idea that we have to be educating kids about their bodily autonomy and and their boundaries and consent way before it has anything to do with their adult decisions. I think the other thing, which is like an unfortunate thing, is statistically many kids are sexually assaulted before college. Like when people get into college, like already a significant proportion of people have has experienced some type of sexual assault. And I think a lot of the like sort of grabby, you know, in my junior high, I remember there was like a butt grabbing problem that happened for a while. And those things, because, you know, I'm old, uh, nobody really cared. It was like, yeah, it's fine, you know, like people, whatever, you know. But again, those kinds of things set up dynamics starting in middle school, really, and sometimes earlier where people's bodies are being touched without consent. You know, even when you're looking at sexual harassment in the workplace now, the main thing that they're finding when they look at research is that that lowers the rates is the response of the managers to it when it does happen. And that if you have a really strong cultural reaction to reporting, like when it happens, people are like, that is absolutely no and, you know, sanctions and all the things, the rates drop way down when people are like, yeah, it's not a really big deal. The rates go way up because you can do it. And I think that's, you know, 
kids knowing that they have the right to their bodies is so important so that so that they don't just dismiss it as being like oh well I guess you know anybody can touch me because that's how it is like they can be like no wait I this is me my body I get I get to pick so that's kind of my goal with that yeah and I I think you achieved it I think it's a, a really great book and really important and like Martha and both of you were saying it, it's it's very different from other books I think about that subject that came out and I think kids would want to read it um, I feel like the tickle fight one is also one of those things that a lot of people have experienced you know like where even something like that would be so fun the person's laughing and like I've been on the non-consensual end of a, of a major tickling younger sister here you know so I think even things like that are just things that a kid would relate to as you know when you feel like your power is taken away it feels bad I maybe think back when I was a kid with the cheek pinching thing because I did have a relative who was a cheek pincher and I would like I would like hide I would like I'm gonna stay in the other room and maybe they won't even know that I'm here and uh <laughs> and then that won't happen but but like they meant well it was like how they felt like being affectionate but it was yeah but it was something that I didn't really like but I also didn't you know have the language to I don't want this to happen to me. I think there are a lot of scenarios in there that kids will be like, yes, you know, this happens in my life and really easy for them to make connections. Yeah. Well, and I think there might be this idea that kids don't like reading about hard stuff, but the opposite is true. And, you know, anybody who, you know, recommends books to kids starts to learn that like kids really do want to read about the hard stuff. They want to know about these things. And a book that's for adults about consent for kids is not something you're going to hand to a kid. Um, and I can imagine people being like, well, I don't need to hand this book to my kid. They're not having trouble. But it's not the sort of book that you need to have a situation before you hand it to them. Kids do want to read about hard stuff. And so something that's about hard stuff but also has a silly side is a really good book to just hand to a kid and say, you like graphic novels? Here's another graphic novel. I mean, you don't even need to say more than that. And then they're getting, you know, the content and it's in a relaxed and fun environment instead of a things have been done wrong and now we have to learn kind of environment. So, Rachel, you said that both of your books for children are nonfiction books. Uh, so I was just curious a little bit, especially for writing books for kids, what your research process is. Honestly, um, the consent book had in some ways less research because I've done so much animation work this area since tea consent so I've worked with many organizations around um, the United States and beyond around doing video around consent so uh, futures without violence and thorn and uh, all these kind of different kind of cool groups of people who look at different aspects of consent so I felt pretty well versed in it by the time I got around to, to doing the book and then I I had um, sort of expert readers in sort of sexual violence prevention and domestic violence prevention who were really useful there too and you know gave me some good pointers and things to consider um for the worry less book that was another one where I, I definitely had expert readers who are therapists and work specifically with kids um I also my eldest child it has a generalized anxiety disorder so this has also been my life for like 17 years <laughs> so I was like here's another one where I have like a little bit of uh, background info on um, how anxiety can both be uh, a tool and also can be an impediment. The Worry Less book does have a lot of strategies for kids. And my experience with my own 
children is that some kids are really into strategies like, you know, deep breathing and sort of centering. And there's a bunch of different ways to, to do that. And, and some people really are more wired to be anxious. And some of those strategies are not super helpful. So there's kind of like the cognitive behavioral stuff. That's like, here's stuff you can do and remember this. And then there's also kind of like that acceptance and commitment uh, therapy stuff, which is like, Hey, this is a part, this is the person I am. I have a lot of anxiety. It's cool. Like I'm going to be all right. And I'm going to think about what my goals are and do them anyway. So it's kind of both those are in the book for the, you know, my middle child is much more like a strategy guy. He likes to do that when he's feeling worried and, um, you know, not everybody is. So I think giving kids kind of a toolbox to think about things, but then like the overall, goal of that book is just to be like, it's actually regular to be worried. Like, especially this year, it's funny, but the publisher released the ebook before the hard copy came out because it was the beginning of the pandemic and everyone's super worried. It's a worrying time, even more than regular. And just recognizing that, you know, as far as evolution is concerned, it, it has a purpose, like worrying is for a reason. It's supposed to help you be able to like make your life better. And sometimes it's a little out of whack and it makes things hard. And, um, you know, just kind of being kind to yourself about that, recognizing that, you know, this is a thing many people struggle with and it's okay and have your support people and do the best you can and just sort of a lot of self-acceptance around that. So it seems like the subjects that you pick for books really real life and your experience with your kids. I mean, one of the fun things about being an animator is like, I get to work on all kinds of stuff and I'm just always fascinated by everything. We also got chickens this year. I could easily write a chicken book and I'd be like, it's amazing, chickens! <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I would love to see Ellie Brosh actually draw a chicken book because her chickens would be the best. But, um, oh my yeah. God, her chickens would be terrifying. <laughs> It turns out chickens are already kind of terrifying. Like they, um, they are little dinosaurs. When my cat goes out, um, the chickens chase him all around the yard and like chase him up a tree. Like he tries to stalk them and then they all come at him like a mob of velociraptors. It's really, it's really something. Actually, that, my, my eldest child who, who has some of that anxiety, he's super into the chickens. And I think animals can often be really helpful for, for anxiety. Yeah, just seeing a being on this earth that really, you know, is just concerned with its basic True. survival. I think just they're so in the moment. Like one of the things that's fun about watching chickens, and I'll just talk about chickens for a minute because that's what everyone wants to hear about, is that when you watch, you bring your chickens out and they like scratch and peck, right? They scratch with their legs and then they plunk down to see if there's any good worms or frogs or whatever stuff they want to eat. And they just could not be happier. And it doesn't matter like what else happened that day or they got pecked by the, the big cheese or whatever. Anything could have happened. It's literally the greatest thing that ever happened to them. And it's so fun to watch them like sitting around watching chickens being happy. It's just everyone should do it. It's like a, it's a great thing. So we end our show with a segment that I call the last chapter where we talk about a bookish or library related question to just give our opinions on it. So this week, I thought I would ask you to, would you rather bring any one character from a book into our world or live in a book's world, but never meet your favorite character? Mm. I feel like that one's really easy for me because I have so many favorite characters. <laughs> so I'd rather go into a book world because maybe I wouldn't meet that one favorite character. But what if I met all my other favorite characters? So 
I would be really excited to explore a book world. Which book would you go for? That's a hard question. That's a very hard question. I definitely think it would be not a fantasy world, which is what I think a lot of people would think of originally. Like, ooh, I want to go meet a dragon. Although, now that I'm thinking about it, I would probably want to check out the Dealing with Dragons world, which is a series about a woman who, who decides that instead of getting married, she's just going to go and live with a dragon instead of having to get married. And it's about all of her adventures, like living with the dragons. And, you know, knights come and try to defeat the dragon. And she's like, no, I'm good, thanks. I don't need to be rescued. So I feel like that whole world was really a lot of fun. Now I want to read that. I'm getting so many good recommendations. <laughs> sounds good. It's Patricia Reed. And it's a very 90s type of fantasy series. And it's, it's very... Um, girl power e and the only the 90s could really do yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's this is, sounds like egocentric i think i want to be the character in the other world <laughs> i don't want to meet you it'd probably be one of those things where it's like awkward we have nothing to say to each other i'm like hey how about chapter five huh <laughs> don't be like a disappointment i want to go like live the life I think that would be cool. I was, I think I might, uh, I think I would want to do like, maybe like My Side of the Mountain. You know, that was like one of my favorite books growing up as a kid. And he goes off and he lives in the woods. I, I love that idea. It's like my childhood fantasy. So I could see that, you know, living in a hollowed out hemlock tree with a falcon for a pet. I mean, come on. What's not to like? I really like that point about not wanting to meet the character. It's probably like meeting a celebrity in a restaurant. They're like, I'm not really that character. I'm a human. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go the opposite because a lot of the books that I enjoy are dystopian. I really like dystopian fiction. So I don't think I would like want to go into these settings because it's like not a good time. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite one though? Because I, uh, that I'm building my list here. Okay. I've <laughs> talked about this on the show before for another last chapter, but literally the the series that was like my gateway drug into reading was the uglies series by scott westerfield um it's just it's it's very interesting it's so it's kind of like fairly distant future where we feel like we've fixed all of the world's problems by giving everyone a surgery when they're 16 to make them pretty of course that surgery and the and the society is more than meets the eye. Well, I have a recommendation for both of you, Taylor, because you love that series much, and I love that series too. I have to make sure that everybody knows about The Bells by Danielle Clayton, which is a newer series about beauty. It's a little bit different because it is people getting magically or surgically beautiful, but in this world, there are specific women who have the ability to do this for other people. And they're held up as, like, beautiful and everything that is beauty. Um, but then, of course, that goes wrong, especially when the queen dies and the princess that takes over is very, like, vain and self-centered and wants to be the most beautiful person in the entire world and will literally, like, kill anyone around her in order to make sure that that stays that way. So um, it's a very updated version of, I feel like, what Scott Westerfeld was starting to comment on when he wrote Uglies. So your list is getting longer. And I'm glad for the recommendation, Martha, because I have seen that series before, but like just saw it on the shelf and was like, is this any good? I don't know. So I'll have to check it out. 
So before we sign off, Rachel, where can people find you on the internet? Is there any upcoming projects that you would like people to know about and point them towards? And we'll include all of this in the show notes as well. Okay. Um, I am on the internet somewhere. I mean, I have like rachelmbryan.com, but that's sort of, there's really nothing there. Um, I mean, really, uh, most of my stuff is under Blue Seed Studios, but um, obviously books are at the library and other places. And um, I do have another book in the works, a couple of little projects, and um, the probably most uh, the newer one, or the one that will come out most recently or most close to now, brain not working, is um, is about friendship. I think with so many of the things that I have looked at, the skill of having a really wonderful friend is, and being a wonderful friend is something that gets people a lot in in life, and life is tough. And so I think it's something that will both there's a lot of opportunity for humor again, but also just sort of like really cool ideas about supporting each other. Thanks for listening. For the full episode, including our book and movie suggestions, search for Downtime with Cranston Public Library in your podcast player. And to learn more about our show, you can go to cranstonlibrary.org downtime. Brody Radio is a project of the Office of Library and Information Services and is made possible by a grant from the Rhode Island Council for the Humanities. When you're listening to Rhodey Radio, you know you're listening to something good.